Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you this morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 2, the passage that Colton read. We'll begin in verse 19. We'll look at 19 through 24 this morning. We, we come to a point, it's a unique point in Paul's letter to the Philippians, because there's a break in the action, if you will. And the action that I'm referring to really started in verse uh, 27 of chapter 1, where Paul begins this really high and exalted proclamation and teaching on how we ought to be like Jesus Christ in the way that we relate to others. He works all the way through verse 18 of chapter 2, where he talks about being a drink offering poured out upon the sacrificial offering of the faith of the people of Philippi. And then we get this pause right here in verse 19, and we get introduced to two men that are very instrumental and very paramount in the ministry of Paul to the Philippian church. It's funny, when you read these letters, and it especially rings true right here, we're, we're reading someone else's mail, and you don't do that all the time. We're reading someone else's mail, and what do you do with a passage like this where he talks about sending two men back and forth to engage in ministry with another, another group of people far away? Well, there are some timely things about these two men and their biographies. We're going to look at just one this morning. We're going to look at this man, Timothy. And we're going to see how Timothy today shows us how to live a sacrificial, gospel-centered life for the betterment of Christ for sure, but for other people, absolutely. And so today it's Timothy, and we're going to have the mind of Christ as Timothy has it. And next Sunday, if the Lord wills, and I hope that he will, we will look at the life and the biography of Epaphroditus and what his role was with these Philippians and with Paul. As we look now, let's just read 19 through 24 to set the table here. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. He has, <clears throat> how he has, as a son with a father, has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Today we come to Timothy and this passage of Scripture, and I want to give you a tool that I use, and, and I used it this week in studying this passage. It's good often to go to a passage of Scripture and ask the questions, who, what, when, where, why, how. These are questions that you ought to filter a passage of Scripture through. And as you ask those questions, and as you answer those questions, the flesh the, the, the text comes alive and becomes flesh to you, and you start to understand what it is, the purpose for which Paul was inspired to write this. And so I've asked this morning really three questions that we're going to look at. Who is Timothy? What was his purpose? And why Timothy? Those are really tremendous questions that if we spend a little bit of time here this morning looking at, I think we will grow as people, as Christians, and as a church. So first, my first question is, who is Timothy? I want to give you some biography on him right quick. Timothy is a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, and he is a partner in ministry with the Apostle Paul. 
If you look back into his beginnings, Timothy had some natural, physical parents like we all do. Acts chapter 16, verse 1 says that there was a disciple named Timothy. He was the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. That's interesting. Timothy is born of a mother who is a Jewish woman, and she is a believer. This means she's a Christian. She believes in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, she would be like Lydia in Philippi that was called a God-fearer. So she's a believer. She's a unique born-again Christian. But the verse goes on to say, comma, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy lives in what I would call a somewhat divided house. We don't know that it was a contentious place at all. But spiritually speaking, this house was divided because his mother was a believer, but his father was a Greek. There's contrast there. Timothy had then spiritual mothers. That's his physical mother and his physical father. Timothy had a spiritual influence from a motherly perspective in his life. 2 Timothy 1, 3 uh, through 14 gives some details, but specifically in verse 5, Paul writes to Timothy in the letter to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So Eunice was his biological mother. She was a believer. She was a Christian. And she sowed her sincere faith into the heart of her little boy, Timothy. And Timothy was double blessed because he had a grandma, Lois, right there on the scene, sowing the same sincere faith in Jesus Christ into her grandson's I think I preached on that a couple of Mother's Days ago. So he's got a physical mother, yes, but he's also got a strong spiritual mother and grandmother who sowed the faith into him. Well, we also know from Scripture that Paul had a spiritual father. And it wasn't his Greek biological dad. His spiritual father was named Paul. And thus we read in Philippians 2.22, the text for this morning, Paul says... You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. It's a great agrarian reference here. This is written 2,000 years ago when one of the chief industries was agriculture. And oftentimes the sons, or if not always, the sons would serve in the fields or with the livestock with the father. And so Paul says, my work is the gospel, and Timothy was my faithful son who served along me in my trade. In my trade. So we see spiritual fatherhood here between Paul and Timothy. Acts 16.3 says this, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and so he took him and circumcised him. That's interesting. Uh, Timothy's biological dad's a Greek. He's not going to take his son and do the Jewish rite of circumcision to, to set him aside. And the one that does it in Timothy's life is Paul. And so there's a spiritual fatherhood here that Paul is exercising. And he, and he, he goes on to say, because of the Jews who were in those places, he needed to be circumcised, for they all knew that Timothy's father was a Greek. And so Paul steps in, spiritually speaking, and is a father to Timothy, so that Timothy can be rightly equipped to do the work of the gospel ministry with his spiritual dad. We also read 
In uh, 2 Timothy 1.6, for this reason, Paul writes, I remind you to fan into the flame, Timothy, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so here you see spiritual fatherhood because Paul ordains by laying on of hands, ordains Timothy into gospel ministry. That is what a spiritual father does with a young man. And then 1 Corinthians 4, I really like this passage, verse 16. I urge you then, Paul writes, to be imitators, not intimidators, imitators of me. And then he says this, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And so here we see clearly Timothy does have a biological father and mother. They both seem to be in the scene. His mother's a believer. His father's a Greek, so he's not. And so here comes the spiritual sowing into the nurturing of this little boy's life. And it comes from mom and grandma. But also God provides a man from outside of Timothy's biology to be a spiritual father to him. Timothy also was a pastor. He had a spiritual father so that he could be a pastor and perhaps a spiritual father to other people. Timothy partnered with Paul and Silas in the establishment of this church in Philippi that Paul is writing to. If you remember, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they go into Philippi in the region of Macedonia. They find a woman named Lydia at the river drawing water. She's a God-fearer, not a believer. And they share the gospel of Jesus Christ with her, and she is the first person of the Philippian church. And so then the jailer gets converted when Paul and Silas are imprisoned. And and so now we've got two members of this church, and then it starts growing. Well, this church was planted with Paul and Silas and Timothy. They know him as a shepherd planter, one who came and established a church for us to worship Christ at. So he is seen by these Philippians as a pastor. Later, we know from Scripture that he's a pastor in the church in Ephesus. 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul says, I urged you, Timothy, when I was going to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And so here he is functioning as a pastor, as an elder in Ephesus, shepherding that flock. So he graduated from the Philippian assignment at some point, and Paul installs him as a pastor in Ephesus. So, that's who we're dealing with here this morning. Real quick biography on him. I think I exhausted all the scriptures on him. That's all we know about Timothy and his history. And so that answers the question, who is Timothy? So here's the next question. What was Timothy's purpose? What function did he serve in Christ's work in the kingdom and Paul's work in Philippi? Well, look at verse 19. Because Paul says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that there it is. Here comes his purpose so that I, too, may be cheered by news of you. Look in verse 23. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So his purpose is to be conduit between Paul and the Philippian church to send encouragement and cheer to them and also to return back to Paul with encouragement and cheer for him. So Timothy's role is literally conduit to which cheer and encouragement is going to flow back and forth between an imprisoned Paul in Rome 
and a concerned church back in Philippi. Paul had two hopes with Timothy. And the purpose for sending him back was this two-directional source of encouragement. And he hoped to be able to send Timothy. He hoped in the Lord to be able to send Timothy. This isn't like you and I say, man, I hope it rains tomorrow. No, he hoped in the Lord. And sometimes we do hope in the Lord that it will rain tomorrow, right? But he hoped in the Lord. This is a hope of trust. In fact, he says later on, I trust that the Lord shortly will send me as well. And so Paul's got a hope here that's fixed on the sovereign will of Christ. I hope Jesus Christ will send Timothy to you quickly. And I trust that he will. It is a confident hope. It's coupled with trust in the Lord that he also will be sent following Timothy. And you'll see next week Epaphroditus into Philippi to bring encouragement and strength and cheer. And so I want to I pause for a moment. This, this hope that Paul has, this messenger that he wants to send, I want you to just picture the situation. Paul is sitting in Rome imprisoned. I think it's house arrest, but he's chained to Roman guards 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Perhaps four to six guys are rotating with him. We know that he shared the gospel with the guard because earlier in chapter 1, he says the whole imperial guard has heard the gospel. And the whole imperial guard is hundreds and hundreds of centurions. Then we know that he's also, in verse one, uh, 14 of chapter 1, he's emboldened all the Christians in Rome who look into his imprisonment and see his condition. They're strengthened and all the more courageous to do the work of the gospel in Rome itself. And then look at this last one in, in chapter 4, verse 22, when he closes his letter, he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And so Paul, he's in Rome in prison. He's chained to guards. He's encouraged all the Christians in Rome. He's, he's witness to the whole Praetorian guard. And Caesar's household now has saints within it that send greetings to the church in Philippi. That's amazing. And all the while, he says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. Through all of Paul's evangelistic tribulation, and he is in tribulation as he is an evangelist. Through all of his evangelistic tribulation, Paul says that he trusts in the Lord that shortly I myself will come to you also. He's confident. He's certain. There's no self-pity in this man in his imprisonment. There's no shrinking back. He didn't stick himself on the shelf and say, I'm going to sit this one out because I don't want to rebel rouse this thing any worse than it is. I've already got enough trouble. No, he just went all the more bold with the gospel. There's no grumbling. I didn't deserve this. Is this what I get, Lord, for all that I've done for you? There's no grumbling. There's only confidence. There's only confidence. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy. I trust in the Lord that I also will come to you shortly. May we all have that kind of constitution in our times of tribulation. I I want you to know this week, as I just looked at Paul on that issue, I said to myself, I need to get better at that. I need to be more bold and more certain in the Lord, not in me, In the Lord, that no matter what my circumstances are, I trust that it will be good. 
I, I also concluded this week that you need me to be better at that. You need a pastor. You need six of us, but you need a pastor that is confident in the Lord no matter what he's dealing with. And to have an outlook that the Lord is going to have good for us and good for me. And that steadfastly I can look into the future and smile because I trust that he's got some ambitions that he is going to use me and us to accomplish for his kingdom. Let's all agree that we need to be like Paul. And let's all agree that Edward needs to be like Paul. And so y'all pray for me. And I'll pray for you. But we need to be right there trusting that the Lord has good for us in spite of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. So here, Timothy's purpose was one of pastoral encouragement. Two directions. Back to the Philippians and then back on return to Paul. He's a pastor, he's a shepherd, and he is assigned here a ministry. His purpose is a ministry of encouragement. And that is a blessed ministry. So now we go to the third question. Why, Timothy? And this is our last question. Spend a little bit more time here. Why, Timothy? We know who he is. We know what his purpose was. What qualified him to fulfill this purpose? Why did Paul want to send Timothy? Verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. You know his proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. He's proven to be a gospel servant. And I've got five character traits that I've lifted out of these short verses, 20 through 22, there's five character traits that define Timothy, and this is why Timothy is qualified to be a pastor of encouragement between Philippi and those church members and Paul in a Roman jail. Here we go. Character is king, by the way, in pastoral ministry. Character is number one. Christ-like character is what qualifies a man to be a pastor of encouragement. Here we go. The first character, he is unique. Paul says he is unique or one of a kind. He says in verse 20, for I have no one like him. Let me tell you, I would really, really strive to be one that the apostle Paul could say, I have no one like him. I, I better said, I would, in humility, I would love for Jesus Christ to say, I need Edward Heinze at Rocky Point Baptist Church because I have no one like him. Doesn't mean I'm the best ever, but it means I'm uniquely fitted to shepherd in this congregation. I pray that the Lord would keep us there. Paul says, I have no one like him. He is one of a kind. He is unique. Literally, it means he is like sold with me. His soul and my soul are interconnected. Philippians 3.17, just look right over there. Flip the, you might be on the same page. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. That us includes Timothy and Epaphroditus, I think, and Silas and perhaps some others. And so Paul says, I have no one like him. He is like sold with me. We are interconnected. Sending him to you is as good as sending me to him. 
And so I hope soon that he'll be in your presence. Both of these men live by the principle of Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's how Timothy is one-souled with Paul. And so their mutual devotion to Jesus Christ made them united to one another and uniquely equipped to serve the Philippian church together. Both are away for the moment. One's going to go back and come give word to me of what he found, and then I'm going to come also at some point. So they're uniquely one of a kind together. Number two, Timothy is compassionate. He's compassionate. Look there at the second half of verse 20. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Man, I bet the Philippians are saying, I want this guy to come. He's genuinely concerned for my welfare. Genuinely means legitimately. It's an extreme word. It's not just he thinks a lot of you. He's genuinely, deeply, legitimately concerned for you. It is deep and extreme, his concern for you and your welfare. Your welfare. He's not merely a messenger from Paul back to Philippi, but he's a shepherd-hearted encourager who has great concern for the welfare of these Philippian people in Paul's absence. So Timothy was not just fond of the Philippians. He was genuinely and deeply concerned for them. 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul says this to Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save yourself and your hearers. Well, Timothy wanted to save himself and his hearers by persisting in the faithful proclamation of the Word of God. That's how he was genuinely concerned for the welfare of the Philippian church. Number three, Timothy is Christ-centered. Look at verse 21. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I have Timothy. There's no one like him. He's he's a... He's a compassionate man, genuinely concerned for your welfare. But these other guys are not so. They seek after their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying Timothy is not self-centered. He doesn't have personal interests that are driving him in this mission to come back. It is Christ's interests. You know, there were some who preached Christ from selfish ambition. If you look at verse 15 of chapter 1, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. That is not Timothy. He has concern for the welfare of these people, yes, and it's because he has the mind of Christ. His interests are Jesus Christ's and those of Christ for this church. Philippians 2, 5. I mean, we're just retreating, retreading over some of the ground here. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And right above it, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. This is Timothy. He has the interests of Christ Jesus. And because he has that, he has genuine concern for the welfare of others because Christ ultimately had concern for us, not himself. Number four. Timothy was tested and proven. Verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. He was proven to be worthy 
of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A man is proven to be worthy of gospel ministry by examination of his knowledge and examination of his experiences. What does he know? Yes, we need to know that. But how has he handled that knowledge? What has he done with that knowledge? Paul said to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Rightly handling the word of truth. Timothy has done this. He's been examined. He's been trained. He's been observed. He's been exhorted. Paul also told Timothy to guard the deposit entrusted to you. And Timothy did so. He did so. And in doing so, he has proven to be worthy of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy had enough time in ministry to demonstrate that he could handle the work rightly. He had experience, perhaps through trials and tribulations with people and events, to demonstrate. Thus, the Philippians even knew he's a proven man. He's worthy of the assignment that Paul has given him. And then last, number five, he's a partner in the gospel. Still in 22, he has served with me in the gospel. Timothy and Paul had a partnership that was established on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not a rival of Paul's. He's not a competitor He had no selfish ambition or envy towards Paul. I referenced a minute ago first the the Philippians chapter 1, verse 15. Look at this. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Well, I want you to know this morning that Timothy is a verse 16 guy not a verse 17 guy he was a preacher of christ he was a preacher that understood why paul was there it was to advance the gospel he had no rivalry with paul he was all the more encouraged to preach because of paul so he's a partner in the gospel ministry that paul has timothy was a servant of the gospel in his service with Paul, not to Paul. Okay? He's with Paul in this ministry. He's not ministering to Paul, although he does by being faithful with him. So, there you have a quick rundown of who Timothy is, what's Timothy's purpose in Paul's life and the life of the Philippian church, and why is he qualified to fulfill that purpose? Well, you say, that's all fine and dandy. What's our purpose this morning for looking at these three questions about this man? Well, this is a very timely text for Rocky Point Baptist Church. Because as we sit here today and I stand before you today, we've just looked at a biography of a pastor and his qualifications and background and purpose. And at this moment, we as a church are looking for a third pastor. 
we need a Timothy to come to us. He might be young, he might be old. I'm not focusing on Timothy's age. We need a Timothy that has these five character traits. We need the Lord to send to us a Timothy. We need to, as we consider candidates for this, and yes, we have one right now that we're looking at, we need to look into this text and we need to say, who did Paul see fit to send to the Philippian church? Because we do need a pastor, and we need a pastor of encouragement, and then we need a pastor that can do all five of these things that we're looking at here. We need a -a one-of-a-kind man to come serve amongst us. I believe that God has fitted for us a man to come and fill this third position. And so that makes him unique, whoever he is. <laughs> and so he's one of a kind. He is, there is no one else like the man that the Lord's going to send. We're just waiting to discover who and when. We need a man that's compassionate. We need a man that has a genuine concern for our welfare in the name of Jesus Christ. We need a man that's Christ-centered. We don't need a man that seeks his own interest. This does not need to become a platform for him to exercise his giftings. This needs to become a platform for him, a pulpit for him, to shepherd us and encourage us in the ways of Jesus Christ. And all the other areas in the church that this man will serve in, whatever those may be. We need a man who has been tested and proven. We, we need to examine a man. The man that we are examining right now, we're doing so through a questionnaire. It's comprehensive, full of doctrine, full of ministry perspectives. It's asking for biography. And so there's an examination. And then we need to examine roles of service and how he has functioned in those other areas of service. And we do that by conversing with him and talking with those that he has served with. And we're doing that with one man right now, but if he's not the one, we'll do it with the next one and the next one until the Lord grants us the man that we are to call. We need a number five, a gospel partner. We need a man to come serve with us. That's why I'm saying earlier, we need to pray that we would be a church ready to receive someone because he's not coming to serve us. I'm going to say that again. We're not looking for a third man to come serve us us he's not going to come serve me he's going to serve us and we're going to serve him he's going to serve with us the role of pastors if we do this we're only going to have three of us the pastors don't run a church in ephesians we're told that pastors equip the saints to do the work of the ministry And so we have discerned that the Lord has said, you need a third man to serve with you, not to serve you. And the way it works in God's kingdom is when people come to serve with us, they serve us and we serve them. And it's just a big party of service. And so we need to be praying for a one of a kind man that's uniquely fitted for Rocky Point Baptist Church at this time in our church's life. We need to be praying for a man that's compassionate, that genuinely is concerned for our welfare. And we define welfare spiritually. 
which means he'll hold forth the word of God in all of his platforms of ministry and our welfare will be improved because we have a faithful servant of Christ. We need to pray that he's Christ-centered and that he doesn't seek his own interests. We need to prove that we test him well and that he is proven to be authentic in his relationship with the Lord and his calling to serve the Lord in this unique place. And then we need to plead with God that he would send us a gospel partner. That's what you do with a text like this. That's why God's told us, told Paul to tell them about Timothy and next week Epaphroditus. Can't wait to preach that one. We need to see the importance of having shepherds that would come and serve with us and what they need to be qualified in to do. So I conclude with this. I, I want to appeal further to what I said during our time of congregational prayer. We must pray that God will send us the right man at the right time. And we need to know that man's biography. And we need to know that man's purpose or calling. And we need to prove that man's qualifications. And we are right now live in that process with one. We need to pray for ourselves that we are ready to discern who that man is. That we are ready to receive this man and embrace this man. And to the degree that he's to lead us in certain areas, follow this man. Because he will be entrusted with live ministry that he's got to shepherd us through. We also need to understand that this, like I said earlier, could be a one to two month process or a six to 18 month process. Dear people, I know of a church right this minute that is coming up on 24 months since they've not had a senior pastor to preach in their pulpits. And they've been through many candidates and the Lord has said, no, it's not him. No, it's not him. Are we ready to have the stamina to say, you know, it looks like we've got a candidate right now, one to two months away. Are we willing to say the Lord is good? It was not him. And we've got to go find the next. And that might take months and months and months. We've got to be ready to say the Lord reigns and he will provide the man in the moment. All the while, we're doing our diligent work along the way. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. So there you have a biographical sermon on Timothy and an application to Rocky Point Baptist Church because we today are looking for a Timothy, a pastor of encouragement to come and serve with us. Let's be faithful to pray that the Lord will send at the right moment.